see everybody that's come out on a summer Sunday afternoon. I'm glad you're here. And um, tonight we're going to go back and be looking at this, uh, the life of Peter. Uh, you might say almost selected events out of the life of Peter, but pretty much those that correspond with um, the main thrust that I'm going to be doing, at least the emphasizing during this quarter. And that is looking at individuals in the Bible who are strong characters, and yet where the Lord emphasizes their weakness and yet pulls out of them great strength. And that will become evident uh, in both the morning and evening lessons as, uh, as we look at different things throughout this quarter. But let's go back and talk about the Apostle Peter. To reiterate a little bit from last Sunday, and if you will, open your Bible to John chapter 1. You may remember we were talking about the very first meeting. Now, I'm not going to re-preach all of that, but I do want to lay a foundation for tonight's lesson from this event in John 1. I believe that John 1 probably corresponds to the first time, at least recorded-wise, that, that Jesus ever came face-to-face with Peter. It does seem that way, certainly. And if you remember in this story, John, as we call him, John the Baptist, is, is preaching. He's the prophet. He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And he gives this prophecy, and if you'll drop down, oh, about verse 32 of John 1, remember John had bore record saying that he was told, God had revealed to him that whomever, upon whomever he saw the Spirit descending and remaining, that was the one. And if you remember in verse 34, he said, I saw and I bore record that this is the Son of God. Now, John had different disciples, a disciple being a follower, a student, literally, but one who adheres to the teachings of a master or or of a teacher. And in this group of disciples, one of them was Andrew. And if you remember the story that follows... Andrew and another disciple were pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist. We see that in verses 35 and following. And the Bible tells us that Andrew spent an evening, he and other disciples spent an evening with Jesus. They met him up, met with him about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They stayed with him the rest of the day. And either the very first thing the next morning or before they had that meeting, I'm not sure of which, uh, Andrew went and found his brother. So if you'll pick up reading in verse 41 again, he first finds his own brother, Simon. He said unto Simon, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, or the Anointed One. Now if you remember importantly from last week's lesson, and then we'll begin to enter into tonight's lesson, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus beheld him. The word means he looked intently on him, or literally into him. And so Jesus, with the ability, we see that at the end of chapter 2 of John, for example, he knows all men, he's able to look into all people, he is the creator, the son of God. He looks into Peter and he sees the character of Peter. He sees what Peter is. He sees what Peter can become. And as we will look at tonight and discover tonight, not most probably what Peter believes about himself. But the first thing Jesus ever says to him, at least, again, as far as it is recorded for us, he says, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, verse 42. You shall be called Cephas, or Cephas, 
which in Aramaic is the same as Peter in English, a stone, a rock. So Jesus basically says to Peter from the very beginning, man, you're the rock. You're the stone. You're going to be the one that can be counted on for leadership. You're going to be the one that I can count on to speak up, speak out. And we know Peter to be that individual. But I don't believe Peter at this time certainly knows himself to be the rock. In fact, I think Peter probably felt he was anything but any kind of rock of salvation or rock of whatever as he looked at himself. And to be sure, there are things within Peter that over the course of time, if we followed his life and spent all of that this afternoon doing that, we would see that there were times that, that the actions of Peter were anything but uh, you know, be speaking that of a rock or someone who's sturdy or foundational or anything like that. Um, and so it may seem very strange to Peter, perhaps even to others, that Jesus would say, you're the rock, Peter. You're, you're, the, you're the stone. You're the guy. And that Peter will, in fact, become known to be that. That's what we call it. So as we look at Peter, I want to suggest to you and... Let me mention to you, incidentally, if you've got your outline, you may see under the next major point, Jesus calls Peter. And if you'll notice, I listed several passages. Matthew there should not be 3 to 4. It ought to be 3 to 8. And that's just for your own study at home and so forth. We're not going to cover all those chapters tonight. But Peter would reflect, I think, on what this initial meeting meant. In other words, over the next several months especially, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but not a great deal. But over the next several months, Peter will have time to really think about that, really reflect. What did Jesus mean by that? What does Jesus have, you know, what does he think I am? What does he have for me to do? What does he want out of me? All of those kinds of questions, if he's a normal human being, that would run through your head. You're the rock, Peter. And Scripture leaves it at that. And then if you notice, if you were to go through these different passages, and I'll suggest them to you for your own study, but if you will look at John chapters 1 through 3 and compare that with Mark chapter 1, as you can see there, Matthew chapters 3 through 8, and yes, that includes the Sermon on the Mount for a bulk of that, and Luke chapters 4 and 5, you will see that several things take place over the course of about the next six months, time-wise. And during that, there are a couple. Of, there, there may be a lot of things that happen, but there are a couple of notable. There are a couple of notable events that take place. That if you were someone even contemplating being a disciple, following Jesus around, or buying into this whole idea of the Messiah, the Christ, that this is the real one. He really is the, the, the real deal, the true God, the anointed one. If you were a studious person, as I said last week, you would even know that meant the Son of God come down from heaven. If you were thinking about all of that, it certainly would make you stop to consider over some of the things that happen. Now, what are some of those things? Well, for one thing, you will notice that it is in this course of time that... For example, John the Baptist gets arrested. And the Bible makes reference to it. In fact, it makes reference to it in a number of these passages, three of them at least. 
that John the Baptist was arrested, and you know that story, and I'm not going to get deep into that, but remember that John had preached, and in this event where John is out preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you can go to Luke 3 and actually see this, and where different ones, in fact, everybody was coming out to listen to John, and John was saying to different groups, you Pharisees need to do this, you people need to do that, and he had addressed Herod, if you remember. And he caused a controversy between, uh, with, with Herodias, the so-called wife of Herod, who was in fact the divorced wife of Herod's own brother, Philip. But he rebuked them. It's not lawful for you to be with her. And the Bible tells us, and Mark 6 would give an account of this, the Bible tells us that it's during this six months that John is in fact arrested. And we know, of course, that he was not only arrested, but he was kept in prison for a while and beheaded. This is not going to be, <clears throat> even though it may seem from the very beginning, this is not going to be an easy following. In fact, if we were to look at John 1 and just see the events of John 1, remember back in verse 19 that this whole idea of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and you disciples need to follow Him, not me, and all of that. All of that had grown out of even the questioning by those in authority. The, if you notice in verse 19, the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask John, Who are you? And John got into that discussion with them. I am Isaiah's prophecy of the one crying in the wilderness. I am Malachi's Elijah. Well, that in itself, wow. Are we at that time? Is this the time of the change in history that the Old Testament had have talked, have talked about? I mean, you would have to be thinking about all of that. And then your brother comes to you and says, yeah, we found the Messiah. I mean, the significance of that in itself is really something. But it's not going to be easy. John the Baptist may be the forerunner. He may be the last Old Testament prophecy. But it's clear. When you rile the wrong people, when you rebuke the wrong people, you die for that. There's something else that happened in the six months, too. If you remember, and for example, go over with me to uh, Matthew's account and look at Matthew 3. We can look at Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But if you, if you remember, Jesus comes out to be baptized by John. If you'll also remember from Acts chapter 1, they're witnessing, that is, these disciples. In fact, everybody in that area is witnessing it. But among the witnesses are, in fact, those apostles, those who would be apostles. And I would think that Peter is probably watching this. Not part of it, necessarily, but watching. And if you look at Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. And if we add all of the accounts together, including John 1, not only is Jesus baptized, but John is basically saying it's by that event, and if you look at what happened there, indeed, he is the Son of God. But remember what happened immediately following. And let's not lose track of the time here. If you notice, Jesus is baptized at the end of Matthew 3 and at the beginning of Matthew 4. And Mark would even add the word immediately. So this is not, there's not time in between this that transpires. Jesus is singled out. Wow. Here is the Messiah. Here's the one the Father speaks to. About, you know, as he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and remains. But immediately, Jesus goes out into the wilderness and is tempted. Now, just think about this for a moment. How long is he there? And we know, I mean, we look at this story and we say, well, he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. And that's right. 
Think how long that is. If you're thinking in terms of this may be the guy, I mean the guy we've been taught about in synagogue all our lives, the guy that everyone has said when this guy comes, everything will change. The kingdom of God will be you know, reestablished. David's lineage will be reestablished. That guy you've been taught about, if he's the guy, where is he? You know? I mean, immediately after this significant event of the baptism for 40 days, that's a month and a half. And in terms of a movement like this, that's crippling. If we were talking about simply and only an earthly movement, you want to, as we would say, keep up the momentum. But God doesn't think like that. No, Jesus immediately goes out into the wilderness for a month and a half. All right, let's say that you're an Andrew, perhaps even a Peter. Some of these other guys, we don't know who all was in John's group, and we don't know who all to whom John said, he's the guy, he's the one you want to follow, he's really the son of God. We don't know who's in that group, but he's gone. What do you do? Well, if you're Andrew, James, John... Peter, if he's thinking about it at all, some of the other, you go back to your jobs. You don't sit around in a house for 40 days. You haven't even been officially called by him. You haven't been tagged, so to speak. That will all come later. You go back to your jobs. And you're doing your jobs, and then Jesus will come back from the wilderness. John will be arrested. So perhaps the movement, as we would say today, is all in disarray. And Jesus will come back, and Jesus will begin to call them. Come follow me. I am the guy. He's not using, I'm paraphrasing the court wildly, but the point is, he is letting them know. Through his miracles, through his preaching, and we will see some of that. In fact, if you want to go over with me to, to Luke chapter 4, Luke gives a really good account of the kind of controversial teaching Jesus does. And this is where Jesus will go into the area that he comes from and the area that Peter, James, John, Andrew come from. And he will enter into a synagogue. Notice down in verse uh, 16, he'll go into a synagogue in Nazareth. And he'll begin, you know, he'll sit there and the worship service is taking place. And we know from history that any faithful Jewish male could speak, preach, as we would call it today, uh, we see, you know, Paul being given that, that opportunity in Acts 13 and, and so forth. Well, Jesus takes the opportunity here, but what does he do? He turns to Isaiah 61, look down at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Again, they would have been taught in synagogue. They would have known that's a prophetic passage of the Messiah. He reads that passage, and then he says, that's me. I'm that guy. And if you remember, it didn't go over well. In fact, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff here because it was blasphemous. He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the Son of God. And they knew it. And so he'll pass, you know, in verse 30, he'll pass through the midst of the crowd. He'll leave that situation. He'll go right into another one like it. My point is this. If we're looking at all of this and we're in the mind of Peter, we're seeing Peter be told, you know, you're the rock. And then we're seeing all of these 
these things take place. And we're seeing these guys who maybe were ready to follow him, but now they're back at their jobs. They're back doing what they normally do. And I will suggest to you, you can take this with a grain of salt, go home and study it yourself. But if we were to look at all of these passages, and we're going to harmonize these passages and try to get an order of events, and I'll suggest to you it's not that easy. There's a lot of controversy about the order of events. And I will suggest to you to get you started that you'll want to key on things like the baptism, like the healing of Peter's mother-in-law, and the arrest of John the Baptist, and so forth, and harmonize all that. But here's what I want to suggest happens. I think about six months transpired, and you see that in all these passages, the first six months of the three-and-a-half-year period of Jesus' ministry. There are very many difficulties surrounding even the beginning. It's not like... Jesus is accepted by everybody. I mean, we get that picture sometimes, and I've even heard people describe that, that maybe for the first year or 18 months there was sort of a honeymoon period, as we like to call it, and everything went smooth and great. Everybody was following him. And then Jesus, you know, some have even said Jesus kind of messed up and he gets too hard, he preaches too hard at them, and most of them go back, you know, after maybe the feeding of the 5,000. He loses the crowd, is the idea. It's not that way at all. And we can easily see by looking at just these passages I've suggested to you that it's difficult from the beginning. Now, having said all of that, you're Peter. And you've probably witnessed these kinds of things. You've witnessed Jesus preaching. You've heard, no doubt, people in the area talking about different events in different places. You're thinking about John the Baptist. Maybe your brother was totally bought in to John the Baptist. You might not have been, but your brother was anyway. And now he's in jail, maybe even dead by now, by the time we get to the six months later, but certainly in prison. And you're thinking about all of that. And Jesus has perhaps said to you, you're the rock. And you're thinking, not only am I not the rock, but I'm not sure I want to be part of this. It may even be, and again, as you're harmonizing and looking at these passages, it may even be that it was on more than one occasion that Jesus came along and said to these fishermen, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A lot of commentators that suggest that happened on more than one occasion. I'm not totally convinced of that, but I think it's a very real possibility. And it certainly does seem to fit. Now, having said all of that, let's go to the end of Luke chapter 4, and then we'll go into Luke 5. Remember that Jesus indeed had preached in Nazareth. They wanted to kill him. Verse 31, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, taught them on the Sabbath days. Notice more time is passing by here. That would be weeks have gone by. He is astonishing people with his teaching. No question, that's a general reaction. It will go on here. He will continue to teach. He will perform a miracle. In particular, verse 38 is when he came out of a synagogue and went into Simon's house. Now, this will be Peter's house. And Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever, and they begged him for him. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. So he heals. There's this miracle here. 
Now, if you're Peter, you've got to be thinking about all of that to be sure. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that uh, had any sick with various diseases brought them unto him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed all of them. You've got to be thinking about all that. Demons also came out of many people crying out and saying, notice the demons here. Mark will tell you he rebuked the demons when they did it. But nonetheless, notice, they're saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. That would further solidify your belief. I mean, if even a demon will say, no doubt, you are the Creator. I mean, who's going to know the Creator and who the Creator is more than the demons and the devil himself? They're, they're testifying, you're the Christ, the Son of God. He was rebuking them, of course, and not to speak. They knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, verse 42, he departed and went into a desert place or a solitary place. And the people were looking for him, and they came unto him, and they stayed him here, that he should not depart from them. In other words, they were trying to you know, hold him there, keep teaching us. He said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Now, you're Peter... And maybe from a distance, you're witnessing all of this. It would be like any guy. I mean, just imagine the things that are going on here and all of this controversy just in our day. Suppose this were a guy going around to Elizabeth and Jersey City and East Orange. You know, and I mean, such a controversy that, you know, the highest office in the land has arrested him and put, you know, arrested a guy that obviously is in support of him. And put him in jail. All of this kind of thing going on. And you're Peter and you're watching all of this. And now Luke chapter 5. And let's read this carefully and notice what's said here. It came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, really trying to keep him, really trying to beg him to stay, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Now, if you know fishing, and you can easily tell from this story that the best time for fishing in, you know, would be to go out at night, cast the nets into the sea. You're going to come back early morning, you know, a little after sunrise, etc. You're going to take your nets and clean them up, you know, from the filth and the, you know, all the seaweed and everything else. You're going to clean them up, and you're going to get everything ready to go do the same thing when it gets dark again. So they were back on the shore, and they're washing their nets. And Jesus comes along, and he enters into one of the ships, verse 3. And this ship in particular was Simon's. Now, when he says ship here, it's a fishing boat. We're not talking about the Queen Mary or anything like that. We're talking about a fishing boat here. It's not a little rowboat, but it's not a huge ship. But he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he requested our Asked, prayed Simon, that Simon would thrust a little from the land, a little from shore, and he sat down and he taught the people out of the ship. Now, I often wondered about this, but sometime back, I got to looking at this, looking at the layout of the sea and all of this kind of thing, and it is suggested that possibly what he did was that there would be a natural, as there are many, a natural little cove there, and that if he could get the ship just, you know, a few yards off the shore in a little cove, that there would be like a natural acoustic situation created here. He would speak and his voice would just reverberate out to this huge crowd apparently that's following. So it makes perfect sense. So Simon, you've come in from fishing, you've worked all night long, you've been cleaning your net, 
catch. Everything's ready for the next day. How about thrusting this boat out in the water a little bit and let me preach? You will notice that Peter doesn't object here. And the Bible says when he told him to do that, he did it. And I find that interesting that as I look at Peter and I'm saying, Peter, how much faith do you have in Jesus I believe he's the, he believes he's the Son of God. I think all of the miracles, his mother-in-law, you know, herself being healed, etc., etc., that I don't think there's any question in Peter's mind who Jesus is. He believes, he has faith, this is the Son of God. Man, if the Son of God tells you to launch a boat out into the water, well, you launch your boat out into the water. And so he does it. Tired or not, he does it. Now notice verse 4. When he had left speaking, I wonder what he talked about. You ever thought about that? What did he say? Would it have been something like was in the Sermon on the Mount? Did he say some things like he said there? You've heard it has been said of old, but I say to you. Did he say things that would really impress individuals like love one another? Or the golden rule, or different things like that. Did he talk about the teaching and teachings of the day and how far off they really had gotten? We don't know what he said, but he talked, he preached. Now here you are, you're Simon Peter, and you're listening to all of this, and maybe you're thinking, as he's preaching all of this, maybe you're thinking about your personal, the one personal meeting we know of. You're the rock. You look at yourself. And maybe Jesus is even talking about it. Remember a page back, look back at chapter 4 for a minute, and notice in verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God. Maybe he was talking about the kingdom. Maybe he was talking about what people would begin to do and be part of. And if you're Peter, maybe you're standing there and you're thinking, and he wants me to be the rock. He thinks I'm the rock. Peter listens to Jesus preach. And the Bible says, when he left speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep. Now that's different. I mean, a few yards offshore, you know, 30 feet, you know, 25 yards, whatever, that's one thing. But launch back into the deep only means one thing. Go back out where you were all night long. Now if you're a normal human being, and you've done something like this, and you've had no success at something, and you're tired, you're worn out. And i got to tell you, if you've ever fished, it's tiresome. But if you've noticed how they're fishing with nets, they have, and they don't have the, you know, the cranes on the ship like we have today, and the automatic launch. <laughs> they're taking these things with muscles, and they're flinging them out there in the water, and they're pulling them back in. You will be worn slap out. Jesus said, go back into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And it's at this that Peter finally objects. And Simon Peter answering said unto him, and I want you to notice what he says, because I think that's important. Master, immediately, a term of respect. He's not, there's not this flare up, blow up, I'm mad, forget it, you know, dude, you're out of your mind. Master, we've toiled all the night and we've
most think that Peter, when he objects, notice the first time, launches ship out a little bit from shore, doesn't say a word, he just does it. But now, go back out, I fished all night, you want me to go back out and fish all day, I'm tired. And, and it's like you might be, or I might be, when we start to object to something, or we start to say something, perhaps to somebody in authority or whatever, we catch ourselves. You know, I wonder if that's what happened to Peter here. Because, Master, we've toiled all night, we haven't taken anything, but notice the next word, nevertheless. Nevertheless means, but, on the other hand, even though we've done all that, notice, at your word, I will let down the net. It occurs to me that when Peter says that this, this is going to become a theme with Peter's life. And it's going to be the kind of thing where sometimes Peter will say or do before Peter thinks. But the one redeeming thing about Peter is that he won't stop there. He will think. And there's a difference there. You know, you can back yourself into a corner. You can think or, you know, say or do, rather, without thinking. And you can get yourself into a corner. And then you've got a choice. You can be humble about it. And you can say, but, you know what, I thought about it. And on the other hand, let me do this. Or you can be stubborn. I'm back here in this corner. I've said what I've said. I'll stand by until I die. You can do that. Peter's not one of those people. Nevertheless, at your word. It reminds me too, and hold your finger, and go over with me to Acts chapter 4. I love this, paralleling these two passages. But notice, nevertheless, at your word, we'll go out and do what you say, and we'll let down the nets. Remember in Acts 4 when Peter and John were arrested and the the council pulls them in there and they want to know about, you know, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? All that kind of thing. Remember what Peter said. And if you go with me to Acts chapter 4, and, and you can see in verses 5 and 6 where they convene to, you know, basically to question, uh, cross-examine Peter and John. Drop down to verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, you can go back to chapter 3 and see the lame man they healed, to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. And I want you to notice what becomes thematic in his defense right here. That by the name of Jesus Christ, the name means the authority. And that's exactly what he's saying to the master in Luke 5. It's not just... Yeah, okay, we'll do it. You know, kind of shaking your hand. Whatever you want, we'll do it. It's not that. At your word, we will go out. On your authority, because you are the master. And I would even go so far, I believe that Peter, knowing Peter from what we know of him, he believes he's the son of God. And we'll see that, I think, in a moment in Luke 5. He's the son of God, and when he speaks, you listen. It doesn't matter how tired you are. And it doesn't matter what you think. And it doesn't even matter if you think it makes sense. Does it make sense to go back out during the daytime, which is the less optimum time to fish? Does it make any sense to go out and fish when you fished all night and you didn't catch anything? doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to go out and sacrifice a son that God has said through this son the whole world will be blessed? doesn't make any sense. God does not always ask Command, tell us to do things that in our minds make sense. And I sometimes think that the reason there are things like that is God is just simply saying, Am I God? 
Will you do what I say? It's kind of like the parent that tells the child to do something. Sometimes the parent says, here's the reason why. Do this and here's the reason why. There are other times the parent doesn't take time and doesn't explain. They just say, do it. And the question to the kid is, will you do what your dad or your mom said? It's as simple as that. That's dad, that's mom, will I do it? Well, when you grow up, it's going to have to be the same attitude toward God. That's God. Will I do it? Will I not? Peter says to these people in the council in verse 10, you want to know how and why all of this happened? The name of Jesus Christ. His authority. His word. The one God raised from the dead. The one that you crucified. This is the stone, verse 11, that the builders set at naught. That is, they ridiculed and made him as though he were nothing. But he became the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. Only in Jesus. Only in Christ. There is none other name. No other authority. No other word under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now that's the attitude of Peter then. And it's the attitude of Peter back in Luke 5. Jesus said, launch your ship out and catch the draft. Lord, we've been out all night. But, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know who you are. At your word, we'll go out there and drop the nets. Now let's read it back in Luke 5. Verse 6, when they had done this, or this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, even so much that their nets broke. And they beckoned unto their brethren, which were on the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to see. Sink. Take this with a grain of salt. Seems to me that what's going on here is Peter and Andrew have a ship, fishing ship, boat. James and John have one. I, I can almost hear Andrew as the miracle is taking place and so many fish are coming in. The boat's about to say, I told you, I told you. You know, I, that would be me. I'd be tempted to do that. I told you. He's the Messiah. But they call it James and John, and James and John have to come and help. And they, they caught so many fish, if you'll notice, verse 7, they filled up both ships, they began to sing. Verse 8, when Peter saw it. you got to have a moment in life. There has to be a time, sometimes several. But there's got to be a moment when you see, see something so clearly. Call it an epiphany or whatever you want to call it. But you've got to see things as clearly as they are. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God that told me I'm the rock. This is the Son of God that there's no doubt whatsoever. He's the Messiah. Everything is changing. That's not really different for your life. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. You just have that moment, you know you're going to be a Christian, and you know everything in your life is going to be different. And Peter, he saw it. And verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And notice, depart from me, go away from me. That's what he said, literally. Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. I look at Peter here. I say, Peter, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. He's the Son of God. I know who He is. And if I didn't know before, if I didn't know when my wife's mother was healed, if I didn't know before, I sure know now. 
Jesus, but he doesn't believe in himself. And that's the problem. He looks at himself and he's honest. I know Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Lord. I believe that. I just don't believe in me. Because what I am is a sinful person. Let's just be honest. Let's be open about it. There's no lying to God anyway. I'm a sinner. I'm not maybe my brother Andrew. He's the religious guy in the family. He was the one out there following John the Baptist, but I'm a sinner. I'm no rock. And Jesus says, you follow me. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn over to Mark's account of this. Go with me to Mark chapter 1. Because Mark's language is really interesting. And if you look at Mark 1, you'll notice what Jesus actually says to them. And, again, Jesus is calling them to be his apostles. He will name them as such eventually. But go back up with me and I'll just start in verse 16. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea. They were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, but I want you to look at the language here. Come ye after me. Now that's interesting. Because basically we would say today, and this is exactly what the language means, line up behind me. You don't believe in yourself. And I know Jesus knows that. You look at yourself as a sinful person. What can a sinful person do when he's out trying to preach to other people? All that's going to happen is somebody's going to look at me and say, I know you, Peter, you're a sinner. I know the things you do. We don't know what he did. It doesn't matter. I know what you do. How are you going to tell me what to do with my life? Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not sending you out there by yourself. It's like me, you know. Michael, I'm not sending you out there to try to convert people to you. Nobody wants to be converted to me. Why would anybody want to be converted to me? Line up behind me, Jesus said. Just come after me. Follow me. But it's this next part that I love. And I will make you to become fishers of men. The word literally means I will craft you. I will manufacture you to be a fisher of men. You look at yourself, Peter, and you say, I'm no rock. I'm no fisher of men. I'm not what you need. I'm not what you want. But I tell you, if you will line up behind me, if you will follow me, I will make you into what I want you to be. You have everything inside you. You just need somebody with the ability to pull it out. You need somebody who has the, the, the power, the creative power, to pull out of you what you can become. And I'm the Son of God. I made you, and I can do that. And you're Peter, and you're looking back out at the sea, and you've got two ships full of fish so much they were sinking, and you're saying, this is the Son of God. He made me. He looked inside me and he said, a rock. <laughs> I don't see it. But I believe. Be holy in my strength. What is the strength of Peter here? The strength of Peter is the faith in Jesus. Not himself. I believe in the Son of God. They left their nets and they followed. And that's what God is still calling us to do. Let me make you 
into what I created you to be. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you believe in Jesus. Your faith is strong. You know He is the Son of God. You know He can do everything He says. Tonight you're willing to repent, to change your life, to be what you're supposed to be, you need to be. You'll be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you look at your life and you say, well, I've been baptized. Maybe I'm kind of like Peter. I don't believe in myself. I haven't believed in myself. I've just kind of been there, but not doing what I need to do. The Lord loves you. And He'll keep calling and believing in you until you're ready to come. If you're ready, won't you please come on the stand?